Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 17. This is Writing Excuses Q&A on Beginnings. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And we are taking your questions about beginnings. So, um... Are there differences in beginnings between forms, novels versus short stories? It, it, it changes how long your beginning is, how much of your story is beginning. Maybe not percentile-wise, but you, know, you can't have three prologues to begin a short story. It's, oh, is it's that a, a straight, challenge? Yes, it's it actually, is. It's actually a very, a straight, ra- very straight ratio. Uh, depending on the length of the work, the first word in the book will be of a different length. Novels typically begin with four-syllable words. Ignore him. He's on medication. Epic fantasies. (laughs) Begin with compound words exclusively. (laughs) You do need to make sure that you include the extra apostrophes when you're yes. writing the And flash fiction, of course, begins okay. with expletives. Okay, For sorry. seriousness, um, this is Kevin J. Fellows asked a question. He also asks... Um, uh, different, accepted difference between genres. So while the podcasters are thinking, I'm going to say yes in genres, there are some general guidelines. Now, once again, you need to understand any rule exists to be broken. When I say, is that a challenge to Dan? I say it laughingly, but you write the story you want to write and you understand when you're betraying conventions that that might make it more difficult for your story to get into. Even in an epic fantasy, using multiple prologues with different view- viewpoints like I did, is a bad idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea for a story I really wanted to write. And if I took it out, it meant I didn't get to write the story I wanted to write, so I wrote it anyway. But YA tends to, um, as a rule of thumb, say you need to get into the character faster and into the plot faster. Just as a general rule, almost every YA panel full of editors and agents I've seen has said that, hands down, be faster. Yeah, with I, I would say that, well, actually, I'm like, frequently I just want that in general. Mm-hmm. But there there are examples of stories that you are supposed to ease into. And I think that the although we were getting silly about the percentage, it is it is really a question right. of percentage. And what you're looking at I feel is if you if you have not engaged the reader within the first page, you're you're going to have problems. They they just it regardless of percentage, they're they right. are not going to turn the page at, to the at next risk page. Of, at risk of assigning an exercise when I know we're already planning on assigning an exercise. Uh to, to really answer this question, uh I would need to sit down with a magazine full of short stories and a shelf full of novels mm. and read the first thousand words and make marks telling myself where I thought the beginning really started to transition into the flow of the thing. Yeah, that's a great... Because because what we're talking about right now is so full of confirmation bias and so full of our own own limited experiences. 
Yeah, the because um, I've actually done that. Um, so the the thing, I mean, we talk a lot about uh, in late, out early, mm-hmm. and one of the exercises that I do is when I'm when I'm coming up with my story idea, I list the events that happen, and then I decide what part of that is backstory. So what I'm doing then is I'm going through and I'm looking for what Dan calls the inciting incident. And I look at what is the bare minimum of information that my reader needs to have before we hit the inciting incident for them to care about the character and to care about what is at stake when the inciting incident occurs. Uh, and everything before that becomes backstory. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's the way I handle it. But mm. the amount of information they need before the inciting incident is going to vary depending on the complexity of the plot. Now, see, when, I'm, when we're talking about, by the way, beginning, you know, how long does it take to do your beginning and things? Really what we're talking about is how long it takes to get to the main inciting incident, like you're saying. But you'll notice that a lot these days of, for instance, epic fantasy, the, the, the ones that are doing this right, they still have a really exciting thing going on at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's a really great, interesting sequence. It's just not the main plot yet. Um, you can take longer to get to the main plot in a longer book, well, but you still have to be just as engaging. And that's not just epic fantasy. That's yeah. becoming r- super common in YA, mm. is let's stick you into this scene and give you a strong sense of who the character is and a strong sense of where the story takes place, and then maybe the real plot starts in chapter two or three. And I, I've seen this a lot, but I, I want to point at James Bond as, as mm-hmm. an example of how to do this right. this right, which is that what happens with James Bond films is that you start off and you are in, you're in, in media res in the middle of some big dramatic thing. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's, he's basically, he's pulling off a heist, but he's, mm-hmm. yeah. he's I, I call that, I call that the romp. Yeah. It's the part at the beginning where the character is having an adventure and is successful and we are engaged Right. With Bond. Yes. He's successful, typically. Right. Right. Yes. So what, what they're doing there, though, is that they are showing you, in many ways, the same movie that you're about to see, but in miniature. Right. So they are making the promise, this is the kind of film you're going to see. And we're going to show you this, we're going to wrap this up, mm-hmm. and then we're going to continue on. And they usually plant stuff in that, that they will refer back to later. Uh, sometimes it's thematic elements. Sometimes sometimes it's introducing the villain. Yep. Um, if we look at um, some of the Indiana Jones, that's what yeah. they do. Is we're going to mm-hmm. see a glimpse of someone who's going to be our villain for the rest of the yeah. movie. So, but it, what they are not doing, and this is the thing that I see mm-hmm. people do when they try to do an in media res uh, hooky beginning, yeah. is that they do something that has really nothing to do with the rest of the book that makes promises that the book does not fulfill. Now, let me ask a question since, you know, we have all these other questions, but I really want to ask, we have talked a lot in the previous weeks, we've talked a lot about this sort of in meter res beginning. How do you do this in not an action piece? How do you do this in a romance? Or how can you have an intro that doesn't involve James Bond fighting his way through? Okay, so uh, Cinder by Marissa Meyer, I mm-hmm. think, has a fantastic beginning because it is the story of Cinderella transposed into science fiction, and she's a cyborg. And the opening scene is her sitting in what is essentially a marketplace uh, trying to fix her own cybernetic foot, mm. which gives you a great sense of who she is. Uh, it puts you in media res in a sense because she's in the middle of doing something. She's actually actively engaged. She is showing her competence. 
Um, you see all of this stuff happening. There's this, the wonderful call forward where we all wink and go, I can't wait till she runs down the stairs of the palace and leaves her foot behind. Seeding <laughs> um, all of this great stuff in there. But, you know, we don't know. You know, the plot hasn't started and won't start till the next chapter. Yeah, so what we're saying is think of an introduction that can introduce your character. And specifically, you know, what are, what are they good at? What are they not so good at? Doing that alone is a good way to start your book. It's not the only way, but it is a good way. And in James Bond's case, that, the way you show it is, what is he good at? Everything. What's he not good at? Nothing. He's James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. Making deep, personal, meaningful connections. With I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Temper yeah, control, Tem- anger, yeah. anger management. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for, for people who are not familiar, in media res means in the middle of the action. Yes. Uh, so the action does not have to be... It, you know, it, it doesn't have to be action, action. Yeah. yeah. It just has to be something the character's good yeah. at. We've just used a lot of action examples, so yeah. I wanted to push us another way. Okay, here's another question. Um, what's the biggest mistake that can be made in plotting the beginning? Mike Mahoya. Mahoya. Sorry, Mike. Mike asks. Yes. The biggest mistake that can be made in plotting the beginning. Boring me? Yeah. I would say too much backstory, trying yeah. to fit too much into the beginning. I we agree. don't. We it, don't need to know everything right up it, front. It, authors, first early authors, and I sometimes still do this, we know what the cool parts are. And so in our heads, we don't think, I have to hook you right now on page one because of course you're going to hang on for page 200 because that's when it gets good. No, your readers don't know when it gets good, so it has to get good right off the bat. Right. I mean, another, another question leads into this. Um, Melissa asks, so I've been working a lot on my beginning. I'm paraphrasing her. Yet I see all these published beginnings by big name authors that are really not that great. They're kind of meh. Why is it that I'm expected to have this fantastic beginning, whereas the published author can have, you know, whatever. And we, yeah, Howard. Because, what was the name again? Melissa? Melissa. Melissa, you're a writing excuses listener, and we expect more of you. There you go. Good answer. Good well answer. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I expect more of me. Mm. I read published works and I look at it and I've done this ever since, boy, ever since reading an interview with Billy Joel when he said the secret to his success was listening to something on the radio and saying, I bet I can do better than that. Yeah, it's, it's basically why, why aspire to be meh. Mm. Well, um, and... Maybe a more direct answer to this question is, because I have had this exact conversation with my editor, why mm-hmm. are all these other books selling better than mine when mine is demonstrably better than theirs? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's because different audiences like different things. Yeah. Well, here, and here's another caveat I put on this. Remember that every book is going to break some of the rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you are kind of using confirmation bias, looking, saying, wow, here's one of the boring beginning, here's one of the boring beginning, here's one of the boring beginning. Those are the ones that are highlighting to you right now, Melissa, because those are breaking that rule. Um, Not saying that it's good to break rules, but every book will break some rules. Well, and I want to reiterate, it wasn't boring to whatever editor picked Mm. it up. Yeah. You know, there is an audience that is not bored by that beginning. Mm -hmm. And occasionally... Occasionally, you're getting away with what I believe Howard said in a previous podcast where he said, the actual beginning of that book is reading the author's name. Yeah. <laughs> if the author has an established track record, um, and that's, that's as has been said, yeah. 
not a good thing to lean on, but it is a reason that something can get published that yep. you're like, oh, why can they have this clunky beginning? And, yeah. and it's, it, it's not because they aren't being edited. It's yeah. because they know that the reader will trust them, whereas with a brand new author, you have to build reader trust from the very first right. word. You know what? The same thing actually holds true. We've used James Bond as an example. Uh, if you start your story with a super competent action romp, often my reaction upon reading it will be, that character hasn't earned that level of competence from mm. me yet. I don't believe that yet. But if the character's name is James Bond, yeah, uh, he came. He came with that out of the gate. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so it is. That's unfair. tricky. It it's is tri unfair, it's unfair Melissa. and it's yep. tricky. And you yeah. just remember that you hire. You are competing for the reader's attention with people who've been doing this for thirty years. So you <laughs> some in some ways need to stand out even more. Is that the most depressing thing we've ever said on this <laughs> show? So. And every year, every year. Somebody, yes. lots of somebody's beat those odds and publish yep. something amazing out of there. Yeah. Yep. Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique, which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're going to stop for our book of the week. All right. So the book of the week is a book that I narrated. It's called The Shepherd of Siena. And I really liked this book. It's by Linda Lafferty. It is based on a real historical character from Renaissance Florence. This is a young woman, a shepherdess, who wanted to race in the Paolo, which is the uh, Palio, excuse me, which is uh, horse races through the streets of Siena. Mm. And this is not something girls did. And she's a peasant girl, actual historical figure. Uh, so we're dealing with the de Medici's and all of these other wonderful political intrigues, and this girl who is making every effort to do that and succeeds in writing 
and becomes a national symbol of Florence or a symbol of Florence. And it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's got all kinds of interesting things about class and gender, which you can tell that I like, but it's really also just a sweet story. And there are horses. <laughs> riding through the streets. Horses riding through the streets. And like wonderful family dynamics and uh, art and there's magic. Uh, and the magic, I don't want to spoil uh, because when I hit it, I was like, oh, that's really good. Um, because it's, it's, it, it's completely plausible. I'm like, yeah, no, I see that. I, that's completely Cool. Yeah. Uh, so I would say go on over to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your 30-day free trial membership and pick up The Shepherdess of Siena, narrated by me and written by Linda Lafferty. Okay. Um, we have a really great question here um, because it's kind of one of these astute higher-level questions where Eric says, how do you balance the need to have something going on right away with the need to have your readers know enough about the people involved to care about them, which is an excellent question. It's actually one that I balance quite a bit. Um, I know as a reader, I'll pick up a book and be like, oh, they started with an action scene because they knew you're supposed to start with something exciting, and yet I don't care who lives and who dies, so this action sequence is not connecting with me. Yet I want to start my books often with a nice action sequence to indicate this is going to be a very action-oriented book. How do you do that? How do you balance that? I find that a lot of it is about making sure that there's some aspect of it that is relatable to mm -hmm. the reader. So, you know, if I start off an action scene and it's just lots of people running around, I don't know who's the good guy, I don't know mm -hmm. who's the bad guy. If I start off an action scene and it's starting with my hero, hero dangling from the, a window ledge and right. having to, I understand what falling is. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, it's, it goes back to that, um, how use the sliding scale to make someone mm -hmm. likable. And it can be something as simple as making them funny. Mm -hmm. If someone's digging from a ledge and cracking a joke, we like them. Mm -hmm. We're like, yeah. I don't want that person to fall off the ledge. Yeah. Yeah. They're funny. What, what, what you're trying to do here is, you know, the, the old idea that, that a scene needs to do more than one thing. Mm -hmm. And if your action scene is just, you know, will he escape in the car chase or not... Yeah. That's not a good reason to have an action mm -hmm. scene at the beginning of your book. Whereas if the action scene's purpose is to show how this character responds under pressure or to show what is important to this character because he or she is chasing a specific object or person, then we learn about the person at the same time we're being thrilled by the action. And I think that the, uh, the distillation of that is that those, you know, those first 13 lines, uh, you know, not, not, just the, not just the car chase, but the our first glimpse of that car chase need to be tickling more than one sense, need to be showing us character, need to be showing us what's going on. It's, it's hard to get the words to do that mm -hmm. much that early, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. I would also say that something really intriguing can solve this as well. Yeah. Um, um, I'm thinking of a beginning of a Firefly episode where Mal is sitting in the desert naked. Naked and, and says, he, that was a good day or whatever. Yeah, he does make some wisecrack and you're like... I just that. like the beginning of that episode so much. <laughs> you've got wisecrack, you've got why is he naked in the middle of the desert. If that were the first episode of that show you'd seen, you would still, I think, be hooked by it yeah. because of the intriguing question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the one I was going to point out is one that we uh, used as a book of the week a while ago, The Three-Body Problem by Cixin uh, Lu, which starts with uh, a battle in the Chinese Revolution, and it doesn't have any of our main characters in it. And yet, it is written in a really compelling way 
and hooks you in, it says this is going to be a specific kind of book. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to jump up to something you said about uh-huh. intriguing and makes you wonder why this happened. Again, one of the things that you can do that we've talked about is building reader trust. Uh, so if you raise a question and then you answer it, and then you're going to build their trust. Um, yeah. You don't right. want to have to answer all of the questions, but if you raise one and you answer it by raising another, that can often mm-hmm. lead them forward into it. Question, answer, question, answer, question, hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we're going to end with one last question. But that one, that one was from Eric, if I didn't mention your name. Very good question. A one from Paul who says, in creating a character, where do you start? Uh, you like to begin developing that character and then how do you start showing them? He says, what are the most important traits to show off in first introducing them? The, the reasons that we like them. Okay. More, I, I think more so than anything else, that's the first thing you need to tell us about a character because then once we like them, everything else is going to fall into place. For me, the beginning is why am I interested in having this character in the story? And sometimes the, the answer to that is because I need somebody to do X. And I know that that answer is not good enough for the reader, okay? But I have stated that this is, this is my original purpose. Now there needs to be more than that. And, and once I start building out from that, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll go all the way back and, and flesh out for myself the character's backstory. And sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes all I need is, you know, I need them to do this, and they want this, and they're emotionally connected to it because of this. And that's what the reader needs. Yeah, I start with what do they want? What's wrong that they want to fix in their life? Yeah, that's usually where I start too. It's, it, which for me often relates to how likable a character is as well. All right. Well, Howard has some homework for you guys. Um, we are moving out of beginnings. We're going to start talking about painting a scene. Um, and Howard has a piece of advice for you. Okay, well, ad- advice. Uh, you're going to need you're going to need some help with this one. Uh, take take the world building that you've done. Take the the G whiz that uh, that is part of your 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 story, your setting, and write your beginning. Uh, identify secretly on a piece of paper what your G whiz is. Now hand this without telling saying anything about it. Hand this to some alpha readers. Have them read it and have them tell you what they think the G whiz is. And this will help you identify whether you are communicating to your reader what you, the, the story that you have been telling yourself. Excellent. Uh, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.